Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Birdman? <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Bardo, baby. Tinuritu, it's Bardo. If you're listening to this episode, the day that it comes out on December 16th, this is the day that Alejandro Gonzalez Inuritu's new film, Bardo, is available on Netflix to watch by everyone. I have seen this movie in the theater. I've seen it more than once in the theater. I forced you <laughs> yes. to go see this movie in the theater so that we could release this episode the day that the movie is available to the public. And we did that because I absolutely loved this movie. Everything about it. That's why it's getting its own episode. I am here to defend it, a movie that does not seem to have a lot of defenders right now. But here we go. It's Bardo. Holy shit. You saw this movie last night. We have not had word one about it. We have not said anything. So tell me how much you hated it. (laughs) Like to to, to put it plainly to our mad movie bus, this is the movie so far of the year that you truly, Alex, would not shut up about to me. Fucking love this movie. (laughs) Fucking love this movie. Every text, I I would get a text pretty much like every other day for at least a week being like, Bardo's like the best movie I've seen. It's the best movie I've seen. And you're like, I feel like I'm the only one that's going to like this movie. I'm the only one that's going to like this movie. <laughs> and so I texted you and I have it right in front of me. Oh, God. I go, will I like it? And you said, I would imagine no. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was it's saying that in- from a place of... It is kind of the inverse of everything everywhere all at once, which is an yes. absurd movie that is a very, very different type of absurdity than what is in Bardo. So I was kind of on this kick of like, I didn't know when I saw it that like people didn't really like it. People that have seen it in in festivals, like it didn't really do that well. We're going to get into all this, but I'm like, okay, screw me. I guess I love this movie. It kind of like, (laughs) it's helping me understand things and uh, putting some things in life into perspective. Like I really liked it, but yes. What did you think of it though? I fucking loved it. Yes. I fucking oh, loved God. it. I thought it might I, be too Dude, I don't know where like it's tough right now. I well, thought this it is might, a tough one. I thought it might be a little too odd for you. It could be too odd for anyone. There's something that happens like really early in the movie where I went, Oh boy, is this gonna please don't let this be like a blonde thing where I'm gonna have to hear about, oh God, don't do this. And we're not gonna give spoilers away. So when I saw what they were doing, it takes place in a hospital. And where that lands hours later, yeah, I was sobbing. I was sobbing. I, it just oh. it destroyed me. It destroyed wow. me. I have seen this movie four fucking times. I've driven to the movie theater four times. This movie's not playing near me. I have to drive an hour one way to see this. I'm a madman. Last night, got out my phone. I'm like, going to go see it. They've taken it away in the Washington, D.C. area. It's nowhere <laughs> in D.C., so I have to wait till Netflix. But I was like, I, I, I'm ready. Like, I'll go see this movie for a fifth time. I love it. But, oh, my God, I'm so glad you like it. Sorry, people. We're I, just kind of like spitballing back and forth right now. We're going to get into what it's about, why we think you should see it. But, oh, my God, I'm so happy you liked it. Well, we've never really had much conversations about this because we haven't really had uh, I mean, there's been no real reason to, but I love absurdism. Mm-hmm. So do I. It, it's just unlike anything that, that that there is. It touches a certain element of our um, humor and our perspective on life in a way. Because when you when you completely remove how reality works, mm-hmm. 
well, now from there, you're, you can kind of go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And it gives you permission. It lets your mind go to places that it's like, oh, okay, this isn't supposed to make sense. It's a dream. It's all like one giant dream-like Yeah, a dream, a nightmare a yes. mixed with reality, mixed yep. with – it's all this stuff. And But, I mean, there's a lot of it. Like when, when it's not done well, it's mm-hmm. it's really, really tough to sit through because – because you're trying to thread a needle between am I supposed to feel a certain way? Am mm-hmm. I because good absurdism, you won't even be asking that. You'll just be kind of living in a certain vibe that lets your Im- imagination go off to wherever it's gonna go. And this movie did that. Yeah. Now, I don't think this movie's gonna re- be received well. <laughs> no, no, I that's why I no, tweeted after I, I saw it. <laughs> I tweeted from my, our account, I said I think about 2% of the people who finish this, I very deliberately said finish because I think a lot of people are going to start this on Netflix and not finish it, but maybe 2% of you who finish it will like it. Maybe even less will love it. I think this movie's made for, we're going to get into Inuritu as well because like, I love this guy. I've loved every movie he's made and we're going to talk about all seven of his movies today. I've never seen a bad one. Some people, it's become like fashionable to hate on his second to last movie which is uh, just really weird for me yeah i don't understand what what the hell is that yeah i don't know what happened to the revenant i some like when that movie was out that movie was hot shit like people were talking about it everyone wanted leo to win an award now it's like oh leo just did that movie to win an award yeah i I finished that movie this morning this morning i started last night finished it this morning and i was like i don't know how the fuck they did this yeah this movie was only made seven years ago and i'm like it's a stunning stunning achievement all of his movies are to me. However, however, none of them are easy. Birdman's a little yeah. easy. None Remiss of them are easy yeah. watches. And that's where he loses people. Like, he makes very, very deliberate movies about, often about pain. I mean, about the worst that life can offer you. And then maybe, hopefully, there is something to latch onto at the end of it. Like, Bardo, for me, we'll keep it at Bardo for now before we go into the rest of his work. I like absurdism, too. But absurdism can carry you along for a point. I'll I'll speak for myself. I was watching this movie. When that lady collapsed in the street, I held up my hands and just went, well, I was alone in the theater, of course, the first time I saw it. No one else in there. East Street Cinema, Washington, D.C. Held up my hands and I was like, what the, like, what am I watching? I don't know what this is. You're not supposed to know what you're watching. No. Not yet. Not yet. And not all absurdism, but to me, the best absurdism lands. Yeah. Just simply put, it lands. And this landed in such a way that was so simple, so easy to understand. The absurdist stuff is not easy to understand. When you're living in one man's like nightmare dreamscape, anything goes. So it can be really strange. You never know when you are actually in reality. And then you think you might be in reality and you're not. Or you think you yep. might be in absurdism and you actually figure out you're in reality. But if all of that has been for a reason, And if all of that eventually lands, that impact, like the last 15 minutes of this movie, the first time I saw it, I was just, I was hysterically laughing 20 minutes earlier, which went to supreme confusion, which went to, in my head, this movie is going to fall flat if it doesn't stick its landing, because I have no idea where it's going, none, and it totally stuck it, and I just went... That's why I've revisited. That's why I've gone back so many times. And there's so much more every time I go back. He he gives you so many uh, Easter eggs and hints and secrets along the way. He is guiding you that when you go back and rewatch this, I'm like, we have a masterpiece on our hands. That's what I'll say. 
in my opinion, people aren't going to view it that way. That's fine. No. This is this thing is uh, astounding to me. Well, th- th- this is one of those movies where like I I mean only coming off of seeing it last night and very much enjoying my time with it, but in also certain times to be fair to it, there there were a few moments where I fell out, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I don't know, I didn't mind because when I did at least just for me, like where my mind went, it wasn't like, oh, I was thinking about uh, bills or like what I have yeah, to do yeah. tomorrow. I, I started trailing off in in a very sort of like avant-garde thoughts. Mm-hmm. This, but that, that's just because that's where the movie let me go into that space. And then when something like the movie caught me again, I was right back in it. Right. This movie in the best possible way, was one of like the most indulgent movies I've ever seen in a long time. Well said. It is. It is. And that is not. That is usually a word I would use to criticize something. Yes. Yes. I feel the same. Heavily autobiographical. Like this yes. is. There's a lot of his life in here. A lot. But aspects of it are so extra and so over the top. But all yeah for a purpose. It is. It's an indulgent movie. It's like. It's a movie of like rich of the senses. There's so much just noise and light. It looks incredible. It sounds great. He's using little, again, didn't pick this up the first time on repeat viewings. I'm like, oh, you're using sound in a way where you're connecting me to different places. I'm not just here right now. I'm also in that dream or I'm in that reality just by very, very deliberate noises, Uh, noises everyone will understand. But okay. Should we get into what the film's about? Should we attempt it? <laughs> I want to say it's better to not know anything, but I do think this movie's going to lose a lot of people. This is his longest film. It is longer than The Revenant, and that did not matter to me. I was like, I wanted it to keep going, but okay. Bardo. I thought it was a dude's name when I saw I it. I did too. Jesus. I did too. I had no idea that Bardo is the state of existence immediately between two lives on earth. So it's like this limbo. That's another another kind of definition for it, limbo. I'm not going to say how the movie begins, but when I tell you that just watching that in a theater was as exhilarating, it's like a roller coaster ride. Oh my I was God. Like, what the fuck? Like, I felt like I was on a ride. And, and just, I mean, you, the movie just started and I'm sitting there like literally getting like the airtime feeling in my stomach. Like, whoa, what is this? Like, what am I? Yeah. It's a perfect way to start. I, I don't even want to say what it is, but it's perfect. It's it's one of the <laughs> coolest openings I've experienced in a long, long time with any movie. Like, I, And I think it also like those first two opening sequences. Yep. You yep. have to accept both of them. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, then th- th- it's going to be a torture to get through the rest. But once you see the opening credit, like it says Bardo. If you're not on the vibe of what the movie has just given you right then and there, then it's going to be tough. But if you do, just trust it. Just lean into everything. Yes. If you watch these first two scenes, first scene, and you go, okay, I don't like logically or realistically understand what I'm watching, but it was really cool. I just got to give in. I'm telling you that as, you know, the host of this podcast and as a lifelong lover of movies, in my opinion, the movie landed and the movie had very deliberate absurdity that landed. I hope some people listening to this arrive at that conclusion as well. Maybe you won't, but I'm telling you it's all for a reason. If you allow yourself to be open to it, like you're saying, we should mention that early. That's a really good thing to point out that you got to give in or else you're just going to be be like, what am I watching? And, what is this? And this movie did what's my favorite thing that could ever. This is how I know I've seen something as that, that I truly, truly when a movie really hits for me. 
Like, I have to go walking after. Oh, yeah. Nice. And so I went to, if people are familiar in LA, the Westwood area, and it's Christmas time. So there's lights everywhere. Right. And I just got treated with like some of the most beautiful cinematography that I've seen this year. So I walk out of this movie and I'm thinking about everything and I'm just looking around at all of the lights and the people and the all of that is like this movie like reflects life and everything that I like to experience when I see a movie like that. So this movie passed my test for for walking out of a theater. I'm like, I'm going to go for a 20 minute walk just to digest. I love that. I do that sometimes too. I did mm-hmm. that a little here kind of by necessity because I had to like go to my car, but it was just cool to like walk out into a city and you're like looking around because yeah, the point of view, the literal point of view of this movie is just so interesting always because yeah. it's so well shot and we're going to get into all that. All right, let me try to, let's back up. Let's try to tell folks what this movie's about. The official title is Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, which actually kind of makes sense because it's like everything that we're watching is based on something real but through this guy's mind it's like a false recollection of it so i like that i mean it's a it's a contradictory title in itself which is great yes exactly a deliberately absurd film about a journalist slash documentarian silvero who has been living in los angeles with his family but has returned to mexico after a long while bardo oh wow it's about a lot it's about Silvero making his next movie. It's about indiv- the individual relationships he has with his wife, his daughter, his son. It's about his relationship with his arch enemy. I love that guy so yeah, much. Yeah, I love that Ta- guy. The so talk good. show host. Uh, Bardo is absolutely about Mexico. It is about yeah. the history of Mexico. It is about the horrors that Mexico has faced as a country, a lot of which Americans don't know or don't talk about. Bardo is about the journey of a life told using dreams, fantasies, absurdist reimaginings. Sometimes all of that is playing out at the same time. Sometimes it's mixed in with real life. Films like this, as we've said, can be hard to latch onto. First time I saw this movie, I've seen it four times. There was, I was kind of taken out of it, just going like, what is going on? And then, I mean, everything clicked for me in a way that was so profound, that was so unexpected. Like I said, I wept. I've, I've just gone through the range every time I've seen it. I've been overjoyed. I've been emotional. And I haven't been hit just such a profound sense of like, you know, we spent some time on this podcast and I will admit a lot of time personally talking about how like, what are movies now, man? Like what's going on? Yeah. Where are our directors? Like who's shooting on film? And when I go on those rants, I never bring up Inuritu's name. They shot this movie on 65 millimeter film. It's like, this is a daring, audacious movie. He's always made those. I certainly hope he doesn't take seven years off between films again, but I just, I'm looking for the directors that need one full year to figure out how to put the first three minutes of his movie on screen, which he did. It took him a year to figure that out. The shadows, how does it all look? What does it sound like? How high does it go? A year. I don't know. This is a movie made by an obsessive guy, by a nut, like in your nut. And there's just so many scenes in it, like the argument with his son in the kitchen, the oh. argument with his daughter by the pool, the outrageous David Bowie dance number. Inuritu loves dances. Uh, I could go on and on and on, but... Favorite part of the movie. um, I don't want to say too much about it, but you're following this guy around. We're seeing his life as it is currently, and what's it all about? We don't really know, but it leads somewhere. Does it ever? At what point were you like, (laughs) what the hell is this? Like, what's going on? First two scenes, loved it. 
I'm yeah. so in it. Then something happens on a train, and I'm like, okay, this is weird. This is really weird. This is it's okay. I'm 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 all about it. We can we weird. can talk about this. We yeah. can, I don't want to talk about the first stuff, but then like he's on the LA Metro. Yep. And he's just sitting there and he's holding like a, a bag of like the you would get like a goldfish bag and like you know you just bought goldfish but these are bigger mm-hmm. fish not like huge but they're like as big as your hand and he's staring at the bag and he stares at some people on the train and smiles and then he looks down and now the entire train floor is covered in like uh, a foot or two of water and a bunch of those fish are swimming around so now that's in the train he was just holding the fish yep. now they're all over the train that's really like a first thing of like oh Oh boy, here we go. Like, yeah. okay, we're, I just thought we were in reality. We are not like, okay, okay, here we go. Yeah. I remember even feeling a bit of resistance to it at first. And, um, cause then it transitions to him crawling around in this water in what appears to be his, what we would learn to be his home, but you don't know that. Yep. And so I was <laughs> like, okay, all right. We're, that, that's where I, that's where I was like, okay, I need to, I need to take a breath. Don't try to figure it out. Yeah. Don't try to figure it out because the first two scenes were so cool and they set me up for something. And then now I'm here and I'm like, okay, well, I need just to kind of like let the movie take me. Then the best thing happened where we get to this Mexican army, <laughs> I guess is the best <laughs> way to. And I I lost my shit. Uh, I was cracking up. I, and it's all real. Like those aren't like it's not CGI. That's not green screen. Like yeah. they're there. Like dude, it, it's, it's just great. It, and and the conversation <laughs> that him and this I don't even know who, who they got. He he was Jay he was Saunders. the leader. He said like Revolutionary Road. Yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. And and just the conversation that they have, where he's like, "You bought it from us," and he's like, "Uh, yeah, like." So it was with that where I was like, okay, I'm I'm all about it. But the the moment for me of the movie was where it's about halfway through where we get to the dance place. It's oh, the big God. it's the big thing that like his celebration and so much happens in this whole entire sequence mm-hmm. from the conversation with his arch enemy. Our guy Silvero's being given like an award for journalism. It's yeah. a big deal, but he's being mocked for it by his Mexican peers who are saying like, cool, cool guy, you went to America to like get this stuff and like you turned your back on Mexico, which is how Inuritu felt a lot like, you know, moved to America, had success. Yep. And his family's like, can we, you know, Los Angeles, yay, but can we go back to Mexico, like to our roots? So yes, yes, keep going. Yep. And, and and so when I'm when I jump forward here, like so much happens in between where we get to know a little bit more. As absurd as it is, he Inuritu is filling us in with the these truths. I think I guess these are the handful of truths. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. F- family, his relationship to Mexico, his relationship to success. Uh, these these are the things that are in his life, and then everything else is the weirdness. And so nothing is as explained as well as that one conversation he has with his arch enemy on the rooftop. The that talk show to host. Me, yeah. Yep, the talk show host. That to me where, where I was like, okay, I didn't necessarily need this, but maybe I did. But now I can ground everything that I've seen up until this point and everything that will probably happen later on throughout the movie. I can ground in this foundation. And I was really, really appreciative of that because it was also very well done. It was very well written. It was very well explained for, you know, lack of a better term. There, there was a part of me that was craving it. Like, let me, let me just like, like get some type of 
something to latch onto. Yeah. Foothold. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what yeah. he gives you. And and it was perfect. And I loved the bathroom scene with his dad. That was oh maybe my, my favorite God. moment. And then the dance. So that all of this that I'm talking about happens in like this like 20, 25 minute sequence. And then the dancing was just one of the most beautiful things that I'd seen. I I love dancing and yeah. it's tough. I always kind of find dancing is surprisingly a difficult thing to capture on film. At it's hard to me. get the jubilation of it, to get to yeah. like this, to get the pure joy of it. And I think the way to do that is let go, which everyone yeah. in this scene does. Be goofy, be silly, and go, that's go. It. Yeah. And it's not yeah. like, because you can watch a beautifully choreographed dance, yes. like Climax, yes. for example. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. But I'm not connecting to my relationship with dance when I'm watching Climax. I'm just watching... Right some unbelievable choreography. Yes, but I agree. If, I agree. If I if I'm connecting to what it feels like to dance, this movie like yeah. got it. I go, "Oh my god." And it made you want to get up and dance. Like I don't know how you to do to what get they're doing in climax, but I can do this goofy stuff, you know? I or try at least. <laughs> yep. And it made me want to be around people. It made me mm-hmm. want to be around friends and family and that's the type of dance that is I don't know. It's a it's a it's a whole different thing, and I loved it. I just loved it so much. I'm 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 done. <laughs> okay, no, I, I want to go into. There's some things I'm willing to like talk about. Some scenes to kind of highlight the absurdity because I don't want people to think that like it's all it's like oh shocking and scary. Like it, not really. Like some things in it, you're like whoa, okay. But the bathroom scene you mentioned is really cool because he just goes to like take a leak, you know, it's our guy, yep. and he spots someone in the mirror, turns around, he realizes this is his dad, who we kind of gather, like, I don't think this guy is alive anymore, necessarily, and then it cuts, they're, they're just talking, they're face-to-face, and then it cuts to, like, a profile shot of them, so they're both in the same frame, and our main character has, like, shrunk to the size of a boy as he's talking to his dad, so that's that's what we're talking about, like, the absurdity of, like, that's very on the nose. Like he feels kind of inferior in his father's eyes. Like, you know, he's this, he's this, he's a kid to his dad type of thing. That's another small bit of absurdism that really, really worked and just communicated everything it needed to say. Like, oh, I understand exactly how this guy views his dad, how his he thinks his dad views him. Oh, it was just it was perfect. That's a little bit about what the movie's about. We're gonna talk a lot more about it, cinematography, all that, but let's try to tee this up a little bit. For people, I'm not sure how good of a job I'm going to do here because it sounds kind of scary, but we're talking about absurdism in film. We can just have that broader conversation now. If there are primers for Bardo, things that like, like if you have seen Fellini's Eight and a Half, one could argue this is kind of Inuritu's version of that. It's his sort of remake of like a director stepping into an absurdist reframing of his own life. And I think that would be fair. That, That was a movie I thought of a lot when I watched this. I did think of Gaspar in the way films, but not with like the harsh, evil extremism that his movies can have. More like just some of the some of the more shocking things in Barda. I went, oh wow, like you you just had the audacity to go there. But again, it's not it's not like extremism, bloody. No, uh, it's it, that's not what I'm talking about. And then um, Malik, honestly, the way oh, that camera God, just everywhere. like floats and lingers. The compositions are so beautiful. Malik, particularly like Tree of Life, like you're swimming like out of a house and like that type of surrealistic stuff. I just thought, yeah. Well, this was this was Emmanuel, right? No, no. We're going to get to who shot it. Actually, Whoa. who shot it. person who shot this is a guy named Darius Kanji. He's an Iranian 
cinematographer. It is not Emmanuel Lubeski, and he's done so much. He did uh, uh, just okay. <laughs> he has one Oscar nomination. I know his name. I've heard that name. Yeah, listen to this shit. Listen to these credits. This is not all of it. These are just the highlights: Delicatessen, Seven, huh. The Beach, Panic That's Room, true. My Blueberry Nights, Funny Games, Midnight in Paris, Amore, The Immigrant, The Lost City of Z, Okja. Uncut Gems, Armageddon Time, Bardo. Fuck, the fuck? Dude. <laughs> Bardo, dude. Um, I mentioned all those movies. I've seen a lot of the movies he shot, but I mentioned all those because I have seen them and I like the way they look. Nothing comes close to how Bardo looks. 65 millimeter film. It's That's another reason I've gone back to the theater so many times because I know once this thing leaves the theater, I'm not going to, it's gone. It's on Netflix. And I'm like, I just need to go see the spectacle again. Like, I just need to see the shots. Dude, I need to go. That guy is, and I mean this with like the biggest compliment ever. Every single movie that you just referenced has such a specific cinematic look. Yep. But they're all different. Yep. Like, they all appeal to that director. So he is like, if I think about it, because like most cinematographers, like we talk about, that's why I thought it was Emmanuel Lubezki. Right. Because that looks like an Emmanuel Lubezki movie. Like, that's who Inuritu has worked with for a long time now. So right. that's why his movies have that particular look. So he's giving us that look because that's Inuritu's yeah. vision. Yeah. So this this cinematographer is like every director's dream. <laughs> Bardo does not look like other like Darius Kanji no. movies. They don't. I mean, even Seven and Panic Room don't look anything alike. And that's the same that's director. what I mean. They, yeah, yeah, they look like, like nothing alike. Like, it's it's crazy how he has adopted. He's the most adaptable cinematographer ever. <laughs> yeah, like so for for Inuritu's first four films, we have. Amores Peros, 21 Grams, Babel, and Beautiful, those were, were all shot by Rodrigo Pietro, who does like Scorsese movies now. He did The Irishman, great, gritty aesthetic. He did 25th Hour, like amazing DP. Then Birdman and The Revenant were shot by Chivo, Emmanuel Lubeski, who won Oscars for both of those. And those have their own, The Revenant is not a gritty movie. It's a, it's a tough no. movie, but the, the look of that is not gritty. It's more no. like, just beautiful carnage is like what you're yeah. watching. Whereas like 21 grams, uh, Babel, those things are so gritty and grainy to the core. But so we had Rodrigo did his first four movies. Chivo did two. And now we have Darius doing this one. And I didn't know who shot it the first time I watched it. I was in the credits waiting for Chivo's name to show up. And I'm like, yeah, oh my God, right. wow. It just looks, it looks so good. It's like saturated when it needs to. But then also like that sequence in Bardo of the, um, the immigration was like, oh, so well staged. And there ain't no CGI yep. in that. There's no, no green screens. Like those are real people trying to cross over. That's real dirt. I was like, holy shit. This is, it was stunning to look at. I feel like I get ahead of myself so many times. I've been like, oh, Vortex, best, best movie of the year, best looking movie. <laughs> I love Vortex. I love it. I love it. I love it. This is, I mean, come on. Bardo, like the way this thing looked was just really on another level. Shot on film, not using a lot of computer imagery, at least not that I could tell. I mean, I definitely noticed certain CGI some, elements some, yeah. to I it. Mean, some, there, but I mean, like, the stuff that you want to be real, like yes. hundreds of people trying to cross, like, a border to immigrate. Yeah. I don't want to see, like, a, a fluffy kind of glossed over, I'm talking literally green screen gloss over thing. I want to see, like, it actually be that. And it was actually that. You can actually tell. And this is something, like, <laughs> I enjoyed my experience seeing in the theater so much because 
there's so much to visually feast on, but then what your point earlier about sound, mm-hmm, like the way mm-hmm. the way that you were talking about certain sound elements would be coming from my right side of my ear to my left side of yep. the ear and would be yep. swishing in between. You know, you're like, I mean, obviously, yes, if you've got like surround sound speakers in your house and you've basically made for yourself a theater experience, then yeah, fine. But this is a movie where it really does make a difference to see that because like that opening scene you're oh, not gonna God. feel like that at home you're not gonna no feel you're like not that at home. you're not it's it's a shame yep yeah you're not because i was like i was transported i i genuinely mm-hmm. and oh my god yeah you i hope if you have a good system at home just boost the brightness up on the tv Bo- turn yep. off that terrible cinemotion bullshit and just boost oh. everything you know get it get it where it needs to be get that sound up there Final thought on Darius, not final thought, but one Oscar nomination for Evita and didn't even win. But that's, I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. He needs to be nominated for this. This is ridiculous. Like, he, I, I don't know if he will. Oh, my God. He he has to. He's got to win. He has to. I mean, every, well, every single, um, we're jumping around here, but. Well, that's what the movie does. <laughs> well, that's true. Every single film that Inuritu has made has been nominated for Oscars. And this is one where I'm like, it is Mexico's official entry for foreign language film. I feel like it will get there. I'd be very surprised if it doesn't. But I don't. I don't know. Does this get like an editing or cinematography nomination? I don't. I don't know. We're gonna see. But well, it'd be strange if it's the only film of his that doesn't get a nomination. Even his first one got nominated for best foreign language film. And I love that movie. Oh my god. No, I think it will because I mean it's also accessible to American audiences because like they, Very true, they, Netflix. they know the director's name. It's Netflix. It's I think it lends itself. I think it's really just gonna be a matter of what people think. I'm terrified to be honest. Like I I don't well, th- it's not going to be like the blonde backlash because there's nothing it, – it's not that punishing of a movie. There's nothing offensive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing offensive or punishing. But I just think it might be – if people fall out of this one, I think it might be a little too weird kind of for people to latch on to. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I would imagine like people who have Mexican heritage or from – like this is like the most oh, yeah. Mexican movie ever made. It, it was so like – Pro Mexico and why did you leave, buddy? Like Mexico wants you. Like come here. Like let me tell you about our history. I just I, I don't think a lot of people are going to flock to this. I think it's going to be a weird like kind of Alex and Nick movie. But this is not as distancing as Blonde. It is not. No, it's not. But it is. It's. I think you made a good point earlier about people finishing this because I think especially because it's coming to Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Let's face it. The majority of people who even attempt to watch this are going to watch it through Netflix mm-hmm. and they're going to turn this on and then being like, what is this? I hope that people give this a shot. I hope that I, I guess the best thing that I would say about this or the way that I would promote it, the best would be like go into it feeling like knowing like you're about to like have a dream mm-hmm. because that's how the movie is. If I was to give advice to someone who's about to see Bardo, think of it like a dream and have fun. That's it. Yeah. And then hopefully when you wake up, you can you can like make enough sense of the dream and you're like, oh, yeah, that was a cool dream. And maybe, oh, OK, yeah, I get it. Like enough of the dots will be connected. But don't be sitting there trying to what the hell does this mean? What does this scene don't, mean? Because yeah. you're going to be stuck on scene one and you're going to be 30 minutes into the movie still stuck back there. Just like yep. go with it. It's like a mosaic. Just let it kind of wash over you. But let's get back to kind of the absurdist vibe. I just want to talk about absurd films kind of in general, if there's anything. I don't know that like 
triggered your brain when you were watching Bardo? Because Bardo, to give a little context, like this movie was not well received at festivals earlier this year. Festivals like Telluride and Venice, where it premiered. Inuritu, it did not get good reviews. So Inuritu immediately chopped it 22 minutes out of the movie. And some of that footage is clearly in the trailer. And I'm I'm here going like, <laughs> give me the Inuritu cut. Like I'll I'll, I'll take it yeah. all. But <laughs> right now it clocks in at two hours and thirty nine minutes, which again is his longest film. But it seems to be this version is better received than the version, the first version people saw. At least that's what I'm hearing. This is one of the fastest paced long movies I've seen. I never checked my phone once for the time. I was just along for the ride, and I did feel the length of it. And there were times where I did check my phone. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) no, no, no. Like absurdity in film. I think you were kind of touching on it earlier. Like I think one of the reasons you and I both like it is that if it's done well, I think the intention of it is that you can kind of get closer to the truth if you paint with an absurdist brush, or at least it can be a more interesting way. I think that is absolutely charlie kaufman's ultimate goal was something like schenectady new york yeah that was my biggest thing right like comparison to this movie was schenectady new york for sure yeah like we've seen a lot of movies about like guys having midlife crises and we don't know how it's going to end for them and like what has my life been all about i've seen a lot of those and it just you know it's like a ho-hum thing that's how it goes i ain't never seen anything like schenectady new york and that's what the movie's about it's like this midlife crisis i've never seen it done that way i mean there are and there are a lot of directors who have dabbled in this it doesn't mean they only make absurdist movies but like louis bunuel who i've mentioned a lot on the podcast he has the exterminating angel that one that i've talked about a lot um the lobster by yorgos is a very absurd movie um birdman by inuritu sure that counts that's That's an absurdist film eraserhead brazil Schizopolis. <laughs> Wet Hot American Summer is an absurd movie. It's, that, it's that going is for true. an absurdist that is, yep. vibe. Yeah. Yep. A lot of comedies do this. Monty Python, you venture a little bit into like parody versus absurdism, but yeah, yes. there's uh, for every good absurdist film, I can probably name five bad ones, but like some of the goats, Connected in New York, The Lobster. I just mentioned Schizopolis because we both love that one. Like, th- I love there's that no movie. no normal human being can sit down and turn on Schizopolis. And even during the first scene, if you're sitting there going like, "Is this real?" Like, no, yeah. you need to give in that it's just crazy absurdity. That's all, and see if it lands somewhere. But um, Herzog, Bergman, Harmony Corinne, David Lynch, as I mentioned, Eraserhead. These are no strangers to using absurdity, surrealism to make a very significant point. But whether that point means something to the individual person may vary, will vary. Well, and that's the thing too, is because like, you know, you take a movie like uh, Dr. Strangelove. Yep. And yep. The, the absurdity of that is pointing out some very, very real fears and flaws politically and worldly yeah. where this and like Schenectady, New York are very personal. Like mm-hmm. the the absurd, like the 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 truths that the the absurdism helps point out are much more emotional as opposed to like worldly in that way. Uh, but it doesn't matter. Like waiting for Godot is probably like the best example of absurdism yep. that is out there, and and you can take that for however the fuck you want. That's <laughs> cool. <laughs> Because that's how absurd of it is. Like, there's no right. Like, if someone's like, "No, you're wrong for thinking like this," because you had that like reaction to it. Like, that's just that's just ludicrous. 
Yeah, and in the episode, the previous episode, I was just talking about bones and all, and how like I, I guess your read could be this is just a cannibal movie, but it could also be about a lot of other things. Like whatever you apply to Bardo, it's not. That's what I would recommend. Like there's so much for you as an individual person to put on this movie. That's what's so cool yes. about it. You can take away so much of your own things and. I don't think that makes you wrong whether or not, you know, I don't think there are definitive answers in this thing here. And I've been listening to a lot of interviews with Inuritu and he seems like that's what people are missing. Like this is a fun movie about like the absurdity of life, but how that can all land. And it seems like, I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't want people to put hit play on Netflix and be like, this doesn't make sense. So I'm rejecting it. Just like give it a chance. That's all. But I know, I see your face. A lot of people are going to do that. Trust me, I know. I'm just saying. They're going to do it. The very smart people that listen to this podcast, maybe they will, maybe they'll just let it play out. I don't know. Our mad movie buffs come through. Yeah, where they think I'm an asshole. We are assholes for recommending this so, <laughs> so strongly. But I mean, we spent so much of Blonde with these like disclaimers like, okay, it's NC-17. Know what you're getting yourself into. There's no disclaimer I have for Bardo. You're going to see some crazy shit, some fun shit, but it's fun. It's funny. Not always, but you know, it's for a point. Well, I think this is probably, if, 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 you, if you look at the history of what are you watching and the, the movies that we've really taken big swings to support, this is probably the most accessible. <laughs> One of them, sure, sure. We, 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 tried, we tried really hard with Malcolm and Marie and Blonde. And Mikey and Nikki, Jesus. Yeah, we like, like crickets. Yeah, <laughs> kind is, of, yeah, yeah. Uh, at, least we hold, at least we hold true to our beliefs. Yeah, exactly. Like, we, we stand by them. But I think this might be, maybe you could also could it's in color. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, color helps. Color helps. All right. Accessibility and Inuritu are not uh, two words I would use a lot. But let's get into him because this is one of my favorite living directors. Filmmakers is actually uh, a better term. We mentioned our friend Dan on the previous podcast as well. And he, he and I t- talk a lot about the industry, the, how, what the town is up to, what's making money, what are people seeing. He and I talk about that a lot more than actual the content of the movies because I think he's much more interested in just like the buzz or whatever around a movie than yeah. sometimes what's going on in the movie. So when the festival stuff for Bardo was happening, he's like, how do you feel, man? It doesn't sound like it's doing well. And I went, look. I've seen his six features. I love all of them. I don't know. I genuinely in my life don't know anyone else who loves all of his movies. Maybe Idiritu loves them all that much. He speaks to me in a way that very few directors do because he understands pain so well. Not in every one of his movies, but in most of them. So I just want to do a few uh, shout outs for him. Well, yeah, because there's a few of them I haven't seen. Um, yeah. And then there's, of course, the conversation about Babel. So, well, that's a yeah, that's all right. We'll get there. So he's made seven films total. They've all been nominated for Oscars. We'll see if Bardo can keep that streak alive. He has four Oscars for writing, producing, and directing Birdman, and then for directing The Revenant. He is one of three directors to win back-to-back directing Oscars. John Ford did it in 1940 and 1941. Joseph L. Mankiewicz did it in 1949 and 1950. Then Inuritu does it in 2014 and 2015. Damn. That is coveted company. The Academy likes this guy. I mean, that's that's clear. Like they they do. They have nominated his work. Not always he hasn't always won for stuff, but we're gonna go through this body of work. And I'm just recommending all seven of these movies. I'm not gonna lie to you and say these are these are easy movies. Uh, most of them aren't, but 
I also want to say that the day before we recorded this, I watched them all. <laughs> I spent my entire day from 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. <laughs> literally. I was going to say, what's the time frame here? <laughs> I didn't rewatch Birdman or Bardo because I just had, but I did the rest and I just went all around. But we'll start at the beginning. We start with three films that he qualifies as his loose death trilogy. First with... Oh. Yeah, Amoris Peros in 2000. We've talked about this one. This is, uh, it's like three different stories. I rented this because I saw it at Blockbuster and on the cover it said, this is the Mexican Pulp Fiction. And I went, sold. <laughs> it was like the year Boom. 2000. And I went, okay, sold. Went home, never seen anything like it. Like Pulp Fiction comparisons are fair. There's like three stories split up by chapters, but uh, this thing is go for broke, like high octane. It, it, I mean, it's just nuts. It's all connected. Three stories are connected by a horrific car accident that opens the film. Now that car accident does open the film, but uh, like 45 minutes into the movie, we see that accident a second time. Inuritu edited this movie himself. He takes that scene we've already seen in a realistic fashion in the beginning of the movie, like hyper-realistic. And then he uses that same footage to turn that scene into a visual and auditory nightmare. Like the sound doesn't match. It's fucking crazy. It's so astounding that like this first time director, not enough people do that. Like it's really, really cool to see him, how he's kind of, you know, reimagining something. So I love that movie. You would like that movie too. Tough movie. I mean, when the movie opens with, no animals were harmed in the making of this film. I'm like, oh my uh, god, dog fighting is a uh, dogs play a central role in the three stories. That's like what it's about. In the beginning, it's dog fighting. In the second one, it's about uh, kind of a toy dog that gets lost. And then in the third one, it's about a a houseless man who just has his dogs as company. There, there's a lot more to each story than just that. Trust me, a lot more. But this is like this thing is pain to the bone. I love this movie. Loved how. It ends as well. Oh, my God. Number two, his second film. He crosses over to America and he makes a little movie called 21 Grams. This is Oof. about as punishing a film as I've ever seen about grief. Uh, in just a few weeks, this movie will be 20 years old. Count it. 20. Oh, and I don't Jesus. know if I've seen a more realistic portrayal of grief since. You know, it's – I yeah. Kind of like my bar for acting is Naomi Watts in this. I, I just think what she did in it, I, I can watch it, oh my God, over and over. And it's such a tough movie to watch. It's all told out of order. You have to keep up with it. It's really putting you in this headspace, this disjointed headspace. Again, all centered around a horrific car accident that connects all these people together. He made this story as a love letter to his wife, which I love. 21 Graham's thoughts. I know you like this one a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you said it right. Like, if I really had to dollars to donuts, as I always like to say, if I had to pick <laughs> one movie that kind of represents grief and in uh, honest and in, in intensive ways, it has to be this. Like, there, there's just nothing really that really kind of captures it. And it's also like, it's also so beautiful. That's the like, thing. That, That's the thing. That is absolutely it. Every single movie all the his most punishing movies to me they do not end in despair they end with these with this odd beauty of like hope even if it's tough like it doesn't mean that just because the way the story ends everything's going to be okay for these characters but it might be yep things might be okay even though you've been through almost literal hell life still might be livable like just find some and, hope in it. Find some connection. That's why I love him so much. And it's also romantic in a way. Of course. You know, the heart, you know, I mean, yeah. that's, that, that's, that's just a, uh, cause I don't want to say what it is. I don't, well, that doesn't really give away that, does it? 
No, it's fine. People can know. So, so, so basically, Naomi Watts' character loses her entire family in a car crash, and her husband's heart was transplanted into Sean Penn's character, who needs a heart. Yep. And these two find each other, and there is, a, like, on Sean Penn's part, there is an immediate attraction and connection, that's the better word, to to Naomi Watts. And so, like, it leaves you with you know the the wonderful romantic spiritual notion that you know soulmates are real and a heart can find it, it, what it loved you know again it, you know like that's just a beautiful thought uh and and it, like that to me is just like that that's just a creative idea and such a a beautiful one set in one of the most awful <laughs> of of situations yeah it's i mean it's a gritty movie i still have my uh i texted you this like a year ago i'm going to need to reserve like a weekend and i'm gonna drop this movie into my editing bay and put it in order i'm not gonna share it i'm not gonna like pirate it or oh, anything yeah, but i want to yeah, yeah. try that just as like a as an experiment i want to see what it's like because they shot it in order and then it you know messed it all up in editing on purpose you wouldn't you would have to shoot something like this in order because it's so the structure of it is so complex but that is part of the part of the joy um his third film one of my favorite movies of the past 15 years we have Babel, his love letter to children now we've never really talked about this on the podcast and i i have a few theories but really shortly into us meeting oh, you yeah. told me how strongly you disliked this movie and i immediately just pushed back and i'm like why and you told me and, and th this was a while ago that you said this so what you told me is you it's a huge pet peeve and for you when you watch people make stupid decisions like in movies like repeatedly which i get and you also said you didn't like movies about kids but i think you've changed that yeah, i watched yeah. this movie last night i, I rewatched it again last night and there's every stupid decision made in this movie like that is the point that's the point of what did it like the woman leaving and taking the kids to go to her son's wedding in mexico like her nephew asked like 10 times like are you are, are you sure about this like uh should we just be taking them? Like, are you, I don't have anyone else to watch them. Like, are you sure? Like, yes, that's fine. Let's just go. It's that immediacy of like, oh no, this will all be fine. That it ain't going to be fine. Like you can't overextend yourself. These kids are being kids and they're being dumb and they've just gotten a hold of this brand new toy. It just so happens that the toy is a deadly rifle and they're instructed by their father, go kill these, like, you know, these wolves in these things. So they stop messing with our goats and they decide to take a few pop shots at a bus oops it doesn't go well that's a very stupid decision but then from there like i'm not telling you you have to like this movie a lot of people i don't know a lot of people don't i think this is one of the most honest portrayals of just human connection that i have ever seen in the end i was crying last night when it was on i think it's so profoundly moving and i i mean i rep babble so hard i have since 2006 i love this movie I, oh my god i love it but what i want to say to you is i i would I would really, really love for you to watch it again now and preferably with me in the room with you because I think I could change you. I think I could change your mind. Well, and I'll be fair. I have only seen that movie once and it was when it came out and my my tastes have changed a lot. They have. You, your taste changed significantly starting in like 2007, I feel like, is when you were 100%. really like, 
Yeah, starting to come over. Because this yep. thing, man, especially knowing that you liked 21 grams and that you liked Bardo and you liked the Revenant, like it's all Babel's just like in your fair. There's nothing that's, you know, it doesn't, yep. it's kind of, it's in his lane. So, but again, I'm not now, saying like if you don't like this movie, you're, uh, you know, a lot of people don't. I do. No, no, no. And you're 100% right. And I'm open to it because I, I, I recognize that like that, that that was then this is now. But you did bring up a very true point is that I do not like when characters do stupid things. But what I may needed more of or at least for me to kind of justify that thought process is what you were saying. Like there are, there is justification for it in a way. Like someone's asking, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? Um, but even when you were saying it, I was, I could feel my insides being like, oh my God, just like, why would you do like, I could feel it. But if the movie is, it's not just stupid people doing stupid things for no reason. Mm -hmm. If, if there, if there's logic being put in place by opposing forces to where the stupid decision is still made, then like I can wrap my head around that a little bit more. So all of that is just to say, I would like to rewatch it. Good, good. I would like, I mean, you know, we're going to be together here soon. We'll do for a little bit for New Year's, do a little Babelthon. <laughs> we'll do Babel and Babylon, baby. <laughs> we, yeah, that is, oh, that's awesome. We will. That's what we'll do. There's a, we, we're definitely, Babylon's going to be one we're going to cover. We have no idea if we're going to like it. We don't know. We're going to see it together in the theater and record a pod right after. So stay tuned for that one. That's going to be, that's going to be fun. But yeah, I, I do think it would be good to give Babel another try i would just i would urge you to just because i like it so much but we'll do it together we'll do it together there we go we could do a live commentary a babble which no one would listen to at all be like, fucking <laughs> lunatics like, this movie's so sad what is wrong with you beautiful 2010 starring javier bardem this is his love letter to his dad this is the one i've seen the least i own every inuritu movie and i will own bardo Watched Beautiful again last night. Javier, Javier Bardem is the, the highlight here. He got nominated for Best Actor for it. Just, it's a really, really intense movie about a guy like <laughs> down on his luck in Spain, trying to, trying to make a buck, trying to get by. He has this mother of his children is a very um, unstable case. And it's about the relationship with his kids. And also there's just, there's some mystical stuff to it. Like he can kind of, uh, communicate with the recently dead and it, but that's not like overall what the movie's about. It's just, it's cool. It's a really, really well done movie that not a lot of people talk about. He wanted clearly to do something a little less mainstream than 21 grams in Babel were. And those aren't like mainstream movies, but you know, he's like, I'm, I'm going to Spain. I'm making a movie with Javier. Yeah. I'd be interested to get your take on this one too. I would love to see this one. I remember you you had a conversation with me. I can't remember when. I think it was one time when I was over and I was just like raiding through your DVD collection and I spotted that one. I go, you know, I've never seen this one. And you, I, I think that, that was all you needed to just go off and like, whoa, dude, this is, you got it. This, this, and then like Great the praise that it was Great receiving. Impression. <laughs> yeah, that was a terrible Alex impression, actually. Great. great. No, it's a, Whoa, dude, you just gotta whoa, you just really, bro. Gotta watch the scene you read too, dude. Um This is another one where it took like in that in the last scene, I'm like, ah, I get it. I didn't really know where you were headed. I get it. So it's kind of like Bardo in that way, where I was like, ah, you were this is all for a reason. I get it now. All for a reason. Takes four years off, comes back with Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. <laughs> 2014, I, I mean, this thing is like 
uh, it's a huge hit. It's probably his most well-known movie. It wins picture, oh, yeah? director, screenplay. What's missing from that, Nick? Best actor is missing. No comment. I get pissed off every time I talk about it. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Let's not do it. Picture, director, or screenplay should have gone to Boyhood. Just one. Just one of them. I don't care which one. Best actor should have gone to Birdman. Michael fucking Keaton. We're not going to talk about who won. Because that's not what this podcast is about. Birdman. <laughs> I like Birdman. I like it a lot. It's, it's, it's just a straightforward movie. What you see is what it's you get. It's great. So well done. I, I watched it, rewatched yeah. it last week. So well done. So confidently made. And like, I just can't believe they pulled it off. And they're actually in there. You can tell like those aren't sets. Like they are in that theater. Oh, it's so cool. That was uh, 2014 was a cool year. Like, it was. That, like it, 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 if you look at like, you know, how different a movie like Boyhood, which is just like really like the uh, one of the most original never been done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get something crazy like Birdman and then you get something like Whiplash. Like, I mean, like that's just like those three movies alone coming out in the same year are just that's cool. It's cool year. It was. It was a cool year, followed by, I will never forget this, 2015 for me, it was like when things changed. I remember writing my top 10 of the year list and saying, yep. I I only saw one great movie this year, or one kind of really good movie, and that was The Revenant. And I don't, yep. I also saw Gaspar Noé's Love. I should have been touting that a little higher, because I do love that movie. No. But yeah, The Revenant, like I just, I don't get what happened to this. I don't get that how, now it just seems like. Wait, seriously. It's so cool to like hate on it and shit on it. And I guess it's just easy to poke fun at. Again, I started this last night and then I was like dozing off because it was, you know, one in the morning. So I finished it, watched the last 45 minutes this morning. And I was like, it's not as entertaining to watch to me as Bardo. Like I've seen Bardo and The Revenant the same amount of times, which is kind of crazy to admit, but what he did technically is you cannot turn your back on it. And that's why he won Best Director, I think. And I, it's just such an achievement. It's such a feat. And I don't know. I really like it. Like, I think it's really well done. I don't hate on it at all. So I'm here for The Revenant, I guess. If, is that weird to say now? I don't know. It's got one of the greatest animal to human rape scenes you'll ever see. Jesus I just don't Christ. understand. <laughs> People still talk about that. Like, yeah. What, what's that? <laughs> I, I sh- Allie wanted to see this movie. She wanted to see it. <laughs> And I was like, this isn't the kind of movie I would normally show you, like, very patient, like, it's it's good. And then we put it on, the bear comes up, <laughs> it's about to happen, and she's like, is this really, like, a sexual assault by a bear? And I went, damn it. So that's, yep. you did hear that, and you really thought that was real. And she's like, well, yeah, isn't it? And I went, no, he just fucking mauls him. Like, it's not, yep. I don't even know how that got started. Like, that is one of the most asinine rumors of a movie that just isn't true at all. It's, I don't know, that's a... It's just a weird, weird, like, internet gossip to be brought up. And then the movie comes out, and that's just a bear mauling him. There's no, like, se- what the fuck are you people talking I, about? God. I had no idea. And I, I was talking to my mom because, like, I, I, I thought my mom would really like this movie, and she's a big fan of Leo. And I was like, you got – and I've been pushing her for, like, a year. And I'm like, have you seen The Revenant yet? She goes, yeah, I just I just don't really feel like I want to watch someone get raped by a bear. And I go, I had never heard this. Oh, my God. I didn't know this was a rumor. And I just burst out like, I go, what? And, and she goes, yeah, isn't that what happened? I go, no. I mean, where did you hear it? And she goes, everyone's saying that. And I, and, and it's true. It, that's, that's a rumor that's out there about that movie. That makes no sense. Hey, man, I'm still dealing with people saying that there's talking fetuses in Blonde. And I'm like, <laughs> guys. It's a manifestation of her guilt, like that the fetus wasn't talking. It's her. Okay, never mind. I'm just gonna go away. I'm gonna- At least with this one, you can just straight up say no. 
that doesn't happen here. Well, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah. There is no. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There is and there is what is not. <laughs> so then his longest break between films, seven years, it takes to get to Bardo, but that's not uh, seven years. Like he wasn't doing nothing. He was practicing for Bardo. Like I said, that first scene that we keep hinting at, it took him like a year to figure out how to technically do that. Um, it's a big production. It stars as Silvero, Daniel Jimenez Chacho. I'm so sorry. I know me with the words, I, the names. I'm sorry. Um, this is a guy that I've seen like intermittently, but he's been in uh, Memoria, which is that weird movie with Tilda Swinton that people talk about that's out now. Get the Gringo, Bad Education for Almodovar, Kronos for Guillermo del Toro, Ooh. and he was in Alfonso Caron's first movie. I mentioned that because... Del Toro, Karan, and Inuritu are all like best friends, Mexican filmmakers, best friends. They completely uh, took over the Oscars in the 2010s. Like it was yeah. awesome. We had, let me try to do this off the top of my head. Karan had Gravity Best Director. Then the next year, it's Birdman, Director Picture, Screenplay. 2015 is Inuritu wins Director. Yep. 16 is a bye year. 17 is Shape of Water. So Del Toro yep. wins Director, that wins Picture. 2018, uh, Koran wins for directing and cinematography. He shot Roma, so he wins that. Yep. So that's like that's a good run there of three friends, three Mexican filmmaker friends who were just crushing it at the Oscars. I love it. Viva la Mexico. Yeah, exactly. But he's so good. He's so good in this movie. Ah, uh, so much just pathos and depth. I loved watching him. I loved everyone. I loved everyone in the cast. I just I don't know them that well because I've never really seen them in movies before, and that's okay. I also want to point out that as a true genuine artist, Inuritu did the music for this movie. He also edited this movie. Bardo is a real artistic achievement by an actual artist. I, I, I could say so much more, but I don't want to ruin it for people. We're really using this episode as like a push to get you to hit play on Netflix and stick with it. Stick with it. Yeah. Stick with it. Goddamn it. What else do we have to say about Bardo? Two questions. Number one, how do you actually think this will do on Netflix? And then let's just do a final selling point of like, stick around for it, people, you know? I think it's going to do terrible on Netflix. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit. Ah, people. I think critically, this may be a very different story, but I might just be very pessimistic about the way that I look at the way people are just taking in movies today. I don't have confidence in America. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to use my time here to try to convince people that Bardo is a masterpiece. I want to try to convince people to give it a chance. Yes. That's all. That's all we're trying to do. Like, give it a chance. It is, if you like his movies, if you are an In You Read To fan, <laughs> this will have something for you. You'll enjoy it. And, I, you know, if you want something different, this is a way different kind of movie. Loved it so much. We are going to go to a what are you watching? But I want to, I'm just going to rank in your here because I love him so much. So I'm going to rank him for the folks. Ready? <laughs> Am I ever? For my in your rankings. All right. Number seven. I love all of these, by the way. Birdman. Whoa. Whoa. All the way down at number seven. Number six, beautiful. Number five, The Revenant. Number four, Bardo. Number three, Amores Peros. Number two, Babel. Number one, 21 Grams. Oh, yeah. What would be your favorite of the ones you've seen? Uh, ooh, uh, uh, mm, Nick. Ah, uh, what, uh, what would it be? I think, I think, ah, uh, uh, 
I mm. Nick, fucking pick one. <laughs> the Revenant. <Damn>. The Revenant. <laughs> well done. Wow. Jeez. Okay, I got to do a little tease for next time. Wait, what yeah, are you yeah, watching? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> our next episode is going to be released on December 22nd, just in time for the holiday weekend. And what the hell? Why not? Let's do Igmar. So we are going to cover Igmar Bergman, my favorite filmmaker of all time, in our next episode. This one's a big one. We're very excited about it. It will not be as long as the Tarantino podcast, I promise. I have structured the conversation in a way to make it not alienating for people who have never seen a Bergman film. So hopefully people who are huge fans of his films like we are will appreciate our insight and hopefully even if you are new to his work we can dispel some of the mystique surrounding his films because as we're going to talk about a lot some of his films are not nearly as difficult to watch as people may have heard that's all so that's a tease for next time we're coming in hot with Igmar Bergman <laughs> stay tuned for that one <laughs> that was it do you want to go first for what are you watching? Or do you of course want to I'm going to go first. I have a really good recommendation. So do I. I highly doubt I, it. It's good. It's good shit, man. This is, uh, this is actually one of my, one of my more favorite uh, um, absurdist movies that I remember you and I talked about a little bit back when it came out. And that is a pigeon set on a branch reflecting on existence. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. That's a yeah. deep cut. What do you like about Dude, this Dude, I one? love this movie. Oh, my I God. I love this movie. I haven't thought about that in forever. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Oh, wow. That's a good absurdist film. It, yeah. it, it's, it's one of the more it, – it reminds me of Waiting for Godot a lot. I mean, I guess because it's just absurdism, but I just remember seeing this movie, and maybe it was it's 2014, yeah. and I was just sort of like, ah. All right. It's good to see something like this. It's so out there. I know. It's so out yeah, there. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Okay. God, when was the last time you saw that? 2014. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> same here. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. My what are you watching recommendation is Bardo. Mm. Go watch it. Jesus. Don't roll your eyes at me. Jesus Christ. That's a quadruple down. <laughs> I'm not kidding, people. Bardo is the best motion picture. I've seen since Waves. Oh my God. Now Waves okay. is the best motion picture I've seen since Shame. It's just my personal taste. I love Bardo. I love it. I, go watch it. I'm glad. I'm glad. Do me a favor. Go watch it. I'm glad <laughs> that we're talking about it in this way because now everyone, you can understand what it's like to have a cell phone, you can have my cell phone and have Alex text you. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, like I'm the hardest fucking person to be texting with. Yeah, it's so tough to be text with someone who's so enthusiastically passionate about movies 24-7. Why don't you put a mirror on yourself where it's like to send you a text, cupcake, take a fucking week to respond, two weeks to respond, don't even hear, text about something that I didn't even ask you. What the hell did you say the other day? Oh, your moral dilemma. Oh yeah. And I, I went, this isn't even a question. I was like, what are you asking? I, I, I was like, know. I don't know. I was in a mood. <laughs> Jesus. Don't make fun of my texting. I won't text you about movies anymore anyway. No, don't you ever. Bardo, go see it. Bardo is on Netflix right now. You can, while you're listening to this podcast, you can go hit play on it. It could just be a, a seamless transition from pod to feature. Seriously, I really love this movie. I'm so glad you saw it. I'm so glad you took the time to go see it in the theater. People won't be able to see this in the theater. That's okay. Put it on Netflix. 
Let me know what you think. I want to hear. Let us know at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast on Instagram or Twitter. I will engage with you about this one, I promise. As always, thanks so much for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. As mentioned, next time it's all about Ingmar Bergman, my favorite filmmaker of all time. We are really going for it. Just in time for the holidays. Stay tuned.